If green is your favorite color or your way of living, then Grounded is the place for you. From big environmental solutions to your own backyard, wherever in the universe you may be, join me, Melanie Walker, on a journey to a cleaner, greener life. Grounded, your window on the environment. And welcome to it. Yes, this is Grounded, where you find out about everything to do with gardens, with the environment, about little hochas and all the other critters that run around in your space or fly around in your space, as the case may be, because today we're going to be chatting about things which go, no, we're not talking about ghosts or any of those kind of things. We are talking about the things that are associated by many with Halloween, bats, and owls. So there's a lot of questions I have to ask about bats, about how good they are, about the, the fallacies around them, about owls, to, to introduce the man who seems to know most about it here in South Africa, and that would be Jonathan Hoare of Eco Solutions. Good morning to you. Hello, Melanie. Well, it's actually lovely to see you, and, and we um, we were actually talking just a couple of days ago, and we were talking about bats and me having bats in my belfry, whatever belfry is, but uh, <laughs> I have bats that come into my house every now and then, mainly because my cat gets them and doesn't know what they are, and then brings them to me as a present, but you know, still in, in good shape. And then, of course, you know, it's a case of like, he sits there and looks at me and goes, what is this? And when we were talking the other day, what happened? Of course, the same night. We had another bat coming into the house as well, who decided it was never going to let go of my daughter. So what are some of the the fallacies and the falsehoods and the weird things around bats? Why do people have such an issue with them? I think there's a few reasons. I mean, bats have all, you know, we have a historical, I mean, it's hard to understand it now because we all have electricity and we're up until 11 o'clock or 12 o'clock or whatever and it seems like there's a continuum of of activity but in the not too distant past we went to bed when the sun went down we didn't have light so and we got up when the sun went came up so we were very diurnal and at that time a lot of the things that went bump in the night terrified us because we couldn't see we didn't know what they were, so something scratching on the on the on the on the house or on the the, the the hut or whatever it was, something screeching in the night. We didn't. We were just scared of it, and and those fears have actually translated. You know, it's it's hard to kind of think about it now that I'd be scared of something just because it's dark. But in a way, we still have those fears as children, and in a more subtle way, protection offered to species across around the world is weighted towards diurnal species. So we tend to want to protect our species that we see during the day more than we want to protect our species that we see at night, just because it's a, a, it's a fundamental default in us. You know, we, we, we kind of, that's how we wired. So the fear of these things that come out at night are always, are always going to be, well, you know, they just are. I mean, it doesn't matter how aware you are or evolved you are, if something a frog jumps out of the, uh, you know, onto your foot in the middle of the night when you're walking through the garden, you get a fright. And probably less of, more of a fright than if it was broad daylight. So that's the way these things work. And, and it's, it's conceivable that they'll always work that way. But the, the, the mythological thing about, I mean, you know, most people, bats are, vampire bats haven't helped. Um, the idea of, I mean, there's people who come to South Africa and are concerned about vampire bats. I mean, vampire bats are found in a very small locality in, in South America. That, and, and actually, when you look at vampire bats, they're fascinating. 
Vampire bats actually feed each other. So they'll collect blood and they'll go back to their roost and they'll, they'll feed another bat some of the blood they've collected. The social structure of vampire bats is really interesting and very generous with each other. So, you know, as we understand more, we become more, less frightened. I mean, that's really what the key to education or what education is really about is, is dealing with our fears on, on all fronts. So we don't have vampire bats in Africa. No vampire bats in Africa. Why did I see that? I always thought that the the Maasai, um, you know, I'm sure I've seen pictures somewhere of the the cattle with a, a bat stuck on its neck, drinking its blood out of it. I, I don't know where. Was that, that also comes always from. just down in South America? Yeah, in South America, they drink. That's where you get vampire bats. No vampire bats in Africa. But I think also I mean, we've the, got other issues in Africa, though. What maybe. issues do we have in Africa with we do bats? Have other, un, we have other unique. African issues. Well, the problems we have with bats in, in, in Africa and, and all over the world is that, you know, people are scared of them. People are scared of them because there's a bats flying to your hair, bats bite, bats, and, and bats can bite. Okay, bats carry rabies, you know, all of those things. But all mammals are mm. capable of carrying rabies. It's not just bats, it's everybody. Bats have kind of been isolated or, or singled out. And, you know, people don't get bitten by bats generally. They, they, the only cases where that's happened has been generally with, with scientists handling bats all day, every day, looking at those things, they might get bitten. But essentially, I don't think, I don't think we've, when I last checked, I don't know, I thought I heard of something more recent, but when I last checked, the last bat rabies thing in South Africa was in 1907 or something like that, and even there it wasn't confirmed. There's far more things to be worried about than bats. But the, the problem in, in cities is that the buildings that we build are fantastic for bats. They're, they're sort of bat roosts. Mm -hmm. And so we're encouraging bats into them because of the buildings that we create are, are sort of caves for bats. And additionally, th there's all sorts of other benefits. The, the, uh, a building holds its, thermo, uh, its, its temperature very well during the night, so it's a stable temperature, which bats really like. In a cave, they can kind of they can move around. So if it's very hot, they can move to the front of the cave. If it uh, gets colder and they want to huddle, they can move to the back of the cave. If there's bad weather, they can move. And what we actually find is that sometimes these these separations within caves are designed on social lines. Like young males don't like to roost with lactating females because they're just noisy. There's pups, there's noise, there's all sorts of things. So young males will go and roost somewhere else and old males. You know, once we start looking at these things and understanding them or, or just being fascinated by them, the most fascinating thing is, is how obvious they are and how, and how similar to us they are. Uh, you know, there's, they're, they're, they're not human, but they, everything makes sense. Mm. That's the remarkable thing about it. You know, it just makes sense, but we didn't know it before. Now we look at it and it's, wow, that's fascinating, but fascinating because it makes such perfect sense. So buildings are, are one of the problems that we have is where people have bats in their roof and they want them out. They want them out and for, for really legitimate reasons. You know, it's not all fear-based. I mean, we've done 360 questionnaires out to people who've had bats in their roof and the, the answers coming back has been a mix of different reasons. But noise has been one of them. In their roof, bats squeaking with pups over Christmas and things like that, noise is a problem. Mess. Bats can make a mess if they're actually in the ceiling and the bat droppings are falling into the house. And, and then fear. COVID hasn't helped. You know, the, mm. the, the kind of association of COVID with bats resulted in a whole lot of phone calls from, to, to Eco Solutions where people were saying, Oh, I've moved of course, into a that hotel. was the whole thing. They reckon it came from people eating the bats, hey? 
Yeah, exactly, exactly. So in Wuhan, they were eating bats. And so, you know, the, 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 a lot of people phoned us and they had a bat in their garden or a bat in their roof or whatever, and they wanted it gone. And we had a, a, a landlord phone up and his tenant had actually moved into a hotel and was demanding the hotel be paid by the landlord because there were bats in the roof. So, you know, COVID hasn't helped with that. Mm. But strangely enough, I mean, it's, it's, you know, Ebola was attributed to bats. Mm. And the result of that was actually very positive for bats because people stopped eating them. And chiefs and, and village leaders and things like that were saying to their community, stop eating bats. So there was a, 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 a resurgence of a lot of bat species in Ghana and places like that post Ebola. You know, it's very difficult to see how things are going to play out until they start playing out. But um, COVID was a concern. Bats were related to COVID. And, and you know, bats are, are little mammals like us. They can carry SARS viruses, and they do. So that's kind of the, the urban problem. We want bats in urban in environments because they eat a lot of insects. A bat, a female bat, when she's producing milk, will eat 70% of her body weight every night. So she's eating, I mean, if you work that out as a kind of a, a, just a mosquito diet, mm. you'd be looking at about 1,000 mosquitoes a night. One bat. I mean, that's a fantastic environmental asset. So we want them in, 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 in urban environments. And this actually works throughout urban ecology. You know, urban ecology is almost a new science. People, most ecological studies are still done in game reserves or out in pristine environments or natural environments. Urban ecology is, is a fascinating science. But it's, you know, we all want these things around us. We, we, we want owls in our garden. We want bats in our, in our garden. We want all those things. We, we, we're evolving towards wanting a greener future and green, you know, and, and, but once they're there, actually living with them isn't as easy as we imagined. You know, we, we wake up in the morning and there's an owl that's drowned in the swimming pool or there's a, a dead rat lying on the doorstep or there's bats squeaking in your roof. And now the reality of having these things starts to become problematic. You want them. You just don't want them at your place. But that's not the way, you know, that's not really what we're trying to achieve mm -hmm. here. So mm -hmm. bats can be moved. They can be moved from a roost in a ceiling and they can be put into an, a, a, a compensatory roost site in the form of a bat hotel or a bat rocket box or something like that somewhere in the garden. And, and so there can be harmony where you've got bats eating mosquitoes, but they're not make, keeping you up at night and they're not making a mess in your house or they're not terrifying your children or you're worried about them flying into your hair. I and that's love really having bats in my house. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and the people who do, you know, there's people who have owl boxes up and we go around there and they, they, they've, I mean, an owl box is really just a cavity that anything can use. That's what you're providing with an owl box. So it's, it's because Johannesburg's so well treed, they don't have natural cavities because they're, they're, they're all alive. We don't have a ratio of dead and live trees like you would in a natural forest. So there's a, a, a paucity of cavities. So you put a box up, but Everyone thinks it's an owl box, but actually what you're really putting up is a cavity. So we've had bush babies, we've had pigeons, we've had Egyptian geese, we've had owls, lots and lots of owls. But you go into one garden and there's Egyptian geese in the owl box and the guy's pulling his hair out saying, you know, if these geese aren't gone by sundown, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to phone John Robbie, or, you know, whoever they, whoever they need to phone, you know. And then you've got other people who call you up and say, listen, I've got geese in my owl box. I really don't want them disturbed. Are the owls going to harass my geese? So that's the urban ecological landscape. You've got people. Mm. And they're the most important part of urban ecology because it's their preferences, their fears, their concerns. And they're taking custody 
or, or becoming custodians of, a, of a, an ecological environment or a, an urban environment and the ecology within it. And there's lots of things coming back. We get phone calls, Janet's in our roof, Janet's in our garden, owls, bush babies, you know, all sorts of things that, that are, are moving back into the city because for a start, we stopped using the pesticides mm. and insecticides we used when it, 30 years ago when you used to see every kind of gardener standing on the verge with a pump spraying the weeds and what have you with, with, round, or with one of those products. So these things are coming back and, and we're trying to welcome them back. But coming back also provides their own interactive problems with us. And that's where the education is so important. Yeah, well, you know, going back to the bats again, of course, I mean, I, I really think that I need to, well, I mean, they, they seem to like my house. So do, would I need to put up a bat box for them or can I leave it as it is? And what would be the benefit of putting up a bat box at your house? Well, the benefit of, you know, every year, the, the problem that bats face in, in, in cities is that the time when they become most irritating to the, the, the household is at the time when they need the least disturbance. So they're very quiet during winter mm. because they're hibernating. Then spring comes along and they start breeding. And our calls, if we look at a graph, the calls coming through to EcoSolutions peak in November and December. And that is the worst possible time to move bats or to, to try and offer them alternatives because they've got pups. So you don't want to close off anything or chase bats out of a ceiling or do anything like that at that time. But that is when the call is at its greatest because people are now being affected by the noise and the, and the, the, the mess and all of those things. So, at, at, you know, we, we don't exclude bats or we don't deal with bats over those months and we don't, um, we don't disturb them during winter. But the, the reality of a bat box is if you've got bats in your roof and you're happy with them, then be happy with them. But a lot of people don't, and, the, and that's the Christmas kind of madness where there's squeaking and noise and people are scared. Mm. And then putting up a bat box is a good idea because you don't want to just exclude them from that roof and not offer them anywhere to go. They'll just try harder to get back into that roof. So there's that reason for putting up a bat box where you've got bats and you want them to move, but you don't want them to move too far away from you. The other reason is if you don't have bats, you can actually rather than, than making your house accessible to them, you can provide them with a, a, a proper bat rocket bat box at the bottom of the garden that gets occupied and then you've got bats in your garden eating insects delighting you in the, at dusk and things like that and and um you you you're creating a space for a, a species that's looking for spaces in johannesburg mm. or cape town or wherever 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 it is and that's the value of it i think so do you make and install the bat boxes all the bat boxes that we make are made out of recycled wood and so we make and we install them. There, there is a blueprint. You know, this is one of the things about this. I mean, at, at the moment, we've got a lot of occupied bat boxes. And the, as we, we collect as much data as we can, orientation of the bat box, location, height, all of those things, species of bat that uses them. And now we're starting to be able to put all this information together and, and create a blueprint of what is optimum for a bat box. And that's what we employ when we install these things. But the manufacturer of them, I mean, Eco Solutions is an, an environmental company, and we've tried to keep to an, an ethos of that. So all of our bat mm. boxes are made from recycled wood. And actually, a lot of them, the wood starts in Japan in the motor industry, and we use those 
bits of wood to make bat boxes. We service them every year. So if there's any deterioration in the box or there's anything it needs, we'll just take that box and replace it. And that's part of the service. They don't have to buy a new bat box. No one has to buy a new bat box. We just want to manage and maintain. And managing and maintaining is critical for this because we can work out which bats are in there. We can see how effective that bat box is. We can introduce new designs as we learn. Okay, this is a better design in our services here. We're going to replace all of these boxes with this box, and we're going to see how that works and whether they're more effective. So anyone thinking of getting a bat box and, and, and any of these things, they actually need to, if they're not prepared to commit to the servicing of that box, they should actually not bother getting it. Because at the end of the day, mm -hmm. you've put up a structure for bats. You get bats that occupy it. Three or four years later, it hasn't had a coat of varnish. It's been rained on African sun. It falls out of the tree, and now you've got a whole lot of bats that had a home and no longer have a home. So that's the key to service and maintenance. And also the information for us. I mean, there's master's degrees going on or dissertations going on on some of this information, desperately trying to learn more. So that's, that's our reality. And also the other thing about our recycled product is, if no one services that box, it will fall out of the tree or fall off the pole. And that'll be a, it won't be great for the bats that are in there. But at least a year or two later, borer beetle, rain, earthworms, whatever it is, are going to just, that box will be gone. You know, it's a wooden box. It'll, mm. it'll disappear. It's not like, like a plastic box or something like that that'll lie underneath that tree for 500 years. It's, it's, it's designed to be re a recycled program or a program. You know, just because we, we use the word recycled doesn't necessarily mean that it's eco-friendly necessarily. So those boxes are designed to and deteriorate. It doesn't mean that it's, it's low-grade either, though actually. <laughs> a lot of people think, oh, it's, it's been recycled, therefore it's not as good as ha having something new. No, true. Which is quite a weird way true. to think. But you, you do the same thing with, with owls. And I mean, there's a lot of weird mythology that goes around with owls as well. I mean, I know that like, you know, most of us are sitting there and going, oh, I want to have owls. And I hear owls in my street often, but I haven't heard them for a while. So maybe somebody put up a box for them and they've moved in there. And I love hearing them at night. I sit there and listen to them and usually early in the morning and I'm sitting and wondering, what are they doing? And the one's calling the other. And hopefully it's not that story where there was always, remember that story where there's a guy who was out there and calling because he heard the owl calling and he'd go, ooh, ooh, and he'd go, Ooh, from somewhere else. And eventually one night he decided to try and go and find the other owl. And it turned out it was two guys doing the same thing to each other the entire time. So hopefully that doesn't happen. <laughs> and the two of them lived happily ever after going ooh, ooh, at each other, which I thought was such a lovely story. So on the walks I go through in parks, there are owl boxes up in the wilds. Um, yeah. did, were you involved in putting up bat, um, owl boxes in the wilds in the little owl forest there? No, I don't think we were. I mean, we've put up a lot of owl boxes in parks. Um, but I don't think we did the mm -hmm. owl boxes in the wilds. And there's quite a few people out there doing owl boxes at this stage. You know, so I don't know what the status of those boxes are. But the wilds is a great place to have owl boxes. The only thing that, you know, one of the things that people, we get a lot of phone calls from people who want an owl box just outside of town or in a more rural environment. And the reason the owl boxes that we have, are so we've got 100 occupied owl boxes in Johannesburg and around Johannesburg, is spotted eagle owl, which is the owl we're predominantly appealing to. If it could choose, it would breed on the ground. So if it has a ground mm. option, so in Mondial, for example, you've got those, those hills behind the Mondial, you know, the, those houses in Mondial. Actually, your owls would prefer to breed on those rocks behind the houses. So, so putting up a whole lot of owl boxes mm -hmm. there doesn't always make sense because they have an alternative, you know. But when you're in the middle of the city, 
Um, those alternatives are few and far between because there's lawnmowers and dogs and cats and kids and gardeners and all sorts of things that might be a problem. So we've put, up these, we've put these boxes up in trees and owls are using them. But it's quite an interesting development because the owls that are using those boxes are actually terrestrial breeders. They want to breed on the ground. So, you know, it, it, it's been a change of breeding biology of urban spotted eagle owls. And, and also diet. I mean, a lot of them are eating rats. We've actually, we've got a webcam up at a couple of our sites on the EcoSolutions YouTube account. And we, I think there's over a thousand viewers who've just finished watching three owl chicks fledging from a box. And the ability to get that information, what they've been eating, what's coming into that box. I mean, there's been bats coming into that box. There's been, and we've always known that mm. owls will eat bats. They're not going to eat bats in a way that, you know, predation is quite a good thing for everybody. You know, if it's a sick bat or an ill bat or that kind of thing, they're usually the, the, the weaker or the elder or the sick are the ones that get predated upon. So it keeps the population of bats healthier too, to have a little bit of predation here and there. But they haven't brought in a lot, but they've brought in all sorts of other things. And it's fascinating to sit there and have a whole lot of people watching that screen and writing down what they're seeing coming in and when it's coming in. I mean, for science and for mm. those things, it's fascinating. The, so the the... Sorry, I've I've gone off on a tangent. Uh, pull me back. Pull me back. Pull me back. I'll pull no, you back and just say right. What about the mythology? I know you've been working in the townships quite a lot as oh, well. Okay, okay. So mythology, our mythology is global. Okay, and it's not unique to South Africa. It's not unique to Africa. It's everywhere in the world, from Japan, where they believe that the number of calls you hear indicates. A different scenario. So if it's five hoots, you're going to go out and buy a lotto ticket. If it's six hoots, you need to check your own pulse. You know, that kind of thing. So that, that, there's that mythology. A lot of the, the Middle Eastern mythology has been around infant mortality. And, and the mortality aspect of owls is, is quite uh, far-reaching. We have it in South Africa that if an owl lands on your roof, somebody's going to die. And in the Indians, the Native American Indians, have an owl calling your name, that whole, you know, calling you to the next world. And it's found throughout the world. But one of the interesting things about that mythology, I mean, there's some mythologies that are just wacky. But one of the interesting things about our mythology is that when people die, generally, mm. when all species die, they generally die in the early hours of the morning, between four and six or three and six. It's because that's when their body is struggling to maintain its body temperature. So that's when you naturally, mortality rate is highest. So when you're in a rural environment and somebody's dying, you're actually around and awake at that time of the night when you're generally not. And then you hear an owl, there's a body on a bed, and the two and two kind of work together. Whereas that owl's mm. been there every night calling away and making a noise. You've just been asleep. So that's where I think that kind of mythology comes from because it's, you know, that would make sense. I heard an owl and, and you know, my, 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 a member of my family has passed away. But there's some mythologies that are, you know, in Nigeria, they believe if you take the eye of an owl and you place it into the hand of a woman while she's asleep, when she wakes up, she won't tell any more lies. So there's those kind of mythologies that are, and I don't know, I mean, that's gender specific for Nigeria, but I don't think it's necessarily gender specific. I think if I woke up with an owl's eye in my hand, the first thing to come out of my mouth would probably be true as well. So, that is the nature of mythology. But in South Africa, I mean, the owlproject.org has, has dealt with over 260,000 children. And those kids 
dissect our pellets. They've been involved in owl releases from, from Alex, for example. If someone has owls in their roof and Alex, they'll phone and then we'll just, and they need to be moved. First prize is to put them in an owl box in that person's garden and we bring, send kids along from Alex schools to go and speak to you know, them, it's their community, they manage that. But if they really don't want them in their garden, the owls will be released from the school. So it's our Alex owls or Soweto owls being just being left alone and released at schools in Soweto or Alex or places like that. But the, the three-dimensional aspect of that interaction where these kids are actually feeding these owls and once they're released, they're coming back to the school and they're putting out food for them. Also dissecting their owl pellets. I mean, we have parents coming in and dissecting pellets and and you know hmm. we've also done a, a quite a lot of research on this where kids have taken questionnaires home and through these programs i mean 260,000 kids over 20 years it's a lot of kids it's also a lot of years so we ask them questions about you know is an owl scary do you think an owl can be used for mooty do you think this do you think that and we, we did five schools in alec or five schools i think in alex that had participated, or three schools in Alex that had participated and three schools that hadn't. And the difference between the schools that had participated in the owl, in the owl program was, were huge. Their, their fear of owls was, was not there. They understood mm. owls in the environment. But what was interesting, we sent those same questionnaires home to their parents. And the pair, the, these kids, I mean, a lot of kids in South Africa, or a lot of people in South Africa who come from a place where education wasn't so freely available to them, when they were children, mm. and they delight in the fact that their children are being educated. Sorry, I want to track the driving past my house here, but they, <laughs> they delight in the fact they delight in the fact that their children are being educated. And these kids are bringing that education home to their parents, mm. and their parents are becoming owl friendly just because of their kids' interaction. But one of the interesting things about those those questionnaires, I think there were about, I think at the end of the day, we had about two thousand questionnaires answered. And one of the interesting things, first of all, that the comeback, the answer questionnaires from the parents were far greater from the kids who had participated compared to the kids who hadn't. But we had a kind of a ringer question in there. What do you think about bats? Because mm -hmm. they never dealt with bats. Our project doesn't include bats or involve bats. And there was a definite bias towards the kids who had been involved in the OWL project and their feeling towards bats of, of, of goodwill than kids who had never participated. So it wasn't just specifically an OWL project. It was an mm -hmm. environmental project. So uh, in terms of mythology, it's hard to let go of mythologies. It's hard to let go of the narrative of mythologies. But in Alex, in Soweto, in Deep Slurt, the idea that an owl is, uh, people are terrified of owls across the board and there's this mythology of kill an owl if you see an owl, that in itself is actually becoming a mythology. Those kids out there are clued up. They're not interested in the mythology of their grandparents. They're interested in who's wearing what tackies and who's got what phone and who's what this and that. Mm. And, and they are their owl-friendly children. And those owl-friendly children will go off and become owl-friendly adults. So I think I think that that's the key. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with that more. It must be. I mean, and for me to have owls around, I mean, I have a – did you know that only about 11% of cats, domestic cats, are actually killers that will actually go out and hunt only 11%. So if you have lots of cats and you're thinking, oh, well, they're, they're going to keep rat population down, not. It's usually the owls that will be doing that for you. And I know that they've been introducing birds of prey into various stadiums around the country to help keep the rat problem down or, and the pigeon problem because they'll also go for some of the raptors will go for pigeons. So these are things that we need to be encouraging into our urban areas to get rid of the mozzies. I mean, I think I've only seen two mosquitoes so far this year, touch wood, touching wood, because I 
I really don't like being bitten by mosquitoes. And I think because I've got bats around, as you said, eating like a thousand mosquitoes a night per bat, I mean, that's fantastic. And the owl population, I mean, the owl population, the rat population is being kept down by the owls and my cat. <laughs> so it's all, oh. all good, really. That's what we so want. If, what would you suggest to people who are sitting there and thinking, well, I want to get a, I want to get an owl in my, my garden. I want, I want to put a place for owls to, or bats to come and roost. So, I mean, how, if they get hold of you, what can you do for them? They would just contact ecosolutions.co.za um, or go to our website. They can fill out forms. on. They can do everything on the website or they can make a call. And then we just schedule them. We look at their site um, remotely on Google Maps. We choose a tree almost mm. remotely. We see that it's good. We look at corridors that come in there. And then we'll just go and install the owl box. I mean, there's no real blueprint. The key to this thing, though, for the, all the 100 occupied owl boxes we have are serviced on an annual basis. Because in that box, we fill it with a substrate. And this is what I see in boxes that other people have installed. They actually haven't done the dressing for the box. So you can't mm. put an egg on a wooden breadboard and expect a female owl to um, incubate it because it just rolls around. So that box needs to be filled with a substrate where the owls can make a cup and lay an egg and keep the egg safely within that cup. This is the key to success. But because it's a cavity, every year sparrows, all sorts of birds go in and use it, and then it no longer is an owl box. So the service mm. is essential. If you don't want to do the annual service, you can do it yourself. We'll help you. You can send us photos and things like that. But if you don't want to do the annual service, you should seriously consider whether you want an owl box in the first place because you're just going to sit with a box in a tree and it's going to be empty. If anybody wants to give a bat box to somebody... Uh, for Christmas, for instance, which I think would be quite a nice idea if you've got a batty old uncle um, who's very into the environment, um, then what you need to do is to give them the gift or make sure that they know that they'll have to have this all serviced within like the next year. We've got vouchers that we do, Christmas vouchers and Christmas gift vouchers. We're working up until the 24th of December so we can deliver on Christmas Eve. And people can have it installed after Christmas if they're away. They can just get the voucher at Christmas. And yeah, we've, we've got a whole list of festive hampers that people can look at and, and choose what it is they'd like in terms of an eco-greening Christmas present. I like this. I think we should all be going more green. Yep. The rest of the people in the studio with me are agreeing with us. They've been listening avidly, and I think we're all going to probably end up getting bat boxes. Well, I'm going to make them get bat boxes. <laughs> Jonathan, idea. thank you so very much for joining us. And um, I mean, it's really fascinating. I just, I could listen more and more to all of, I'm very into mythology and especially you know, African mythology and how it works. And this for me has been quite an eye opener and I hope it has for everybody else as well. So thank you very much for joining us. We'll catch up with you again in the not too distant future, I'm sure. Thank <laughs> Everybody's going to be inundating you with calls. And we'll catch up with you Thank again you soon. And of course, the rest of you, remember, get out into the garden. Get out. Go and see if you've got any evidence of owls. Listen out for the bats and the owls in the middle of the night. And don't be afraid. Because after all, remember, you're always grounded. Thank you and bye-bye. You've been listening to another episode of Grounded from Solid Gold Studios in Johannesburg. For more green ideas and events, pop along to Mel's Treasures on Facebook.